This is Kincaid and Breckenridge, exclusively on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. And welcome back, Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Talking about this budget, we've heard from the politicians that we want to get some further analysis uh, of this uh, budget. Uh, Trevor Toome joining us on the line here this morning, uh, the University of Calgary, an economist, also fellow at the School of Public Policy, U of C. Um, Trevor, thanks for joining us here this morning. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Okay, you have some time to go through this. I mean, what strikes me as interesting, this is a budget after all, but they've given it the title, the Alberta Jobs Plan. I guess maybe we could start there. Is this a, is this a plan to create jobs? How do we measure that? Yeah, I don't really think it is a plan to create jobs. So I see that as something that all governments do. They, they have initiatives that they, they say is going to boost economic growth and create jobs. But here in this budget, we don't actually see a big increase in the level of spending relative to what they were planning to do anyway last October, for example. And a lot of the diversification initiatives that they have in mind, they're just, uh, there's just no evidence that they're going to do anything beneficial for the economy overall, and some good reasons to think they're actually counterproductive. Um, uh, you know, but they serve a political purpose of showing people that the government is doing something, that they're aware of the problem, and et cetera. Okay, well, can you break that out a bit further? Because I think that a lot of times uh, one of the right-left divides in our province is is the left say, look, government can stimulate the economy to create jobs, and the right say job creation is done by the private sector. The government is completely powerless in this regard. So like, like can, can you kind of get a little bit more specific in, in the response that you just gave us? Sure. So I, I don't actually see it as a left-right thing. I mean, if we compare what this government has been doing and probably a little bit smaller than what we've seen past PC governments do. I mean, the Sturgeon Refinery, for example, is a big one that jumps to mind. Uh, so these kind of subsidies provided by governments to different sectors or different firms is, is an all-party position. All right. Well, yeah, that, I mean, you, you, you touch on two of the themes that we've certainly heard from this government, that, that we're going to diversify the economy, we're going to get off the, the royalties and the energy revenue roller coaster. We've heard a lot, a lot from this government on both of those themes. But when you look at the, their actual plan here, their budget, Trevor, does this budget get us anywhere close uh, or at all closer to either of those goals? You know, I don't think so. Uh, so we, this roller, royalty roller coaster, everyone's heard of that, it just means primarily that in the past the government has relied heavily on resource revenues. Alberta has below average levels of taxes and above average levels of spending. And to close that gap, we relied on uh, resource revenue, which has dried up. And so in this plan, what we see is an increase in spending, and you know whether the spending items themselves are defensible or not is more of a political question rather than an economic one. But if, if you look at the deficits going forward, they do heavily rely on royalty revenues coming back uh, to over $4 billion by the 2018-19 time frame. And so we're still on the royalty roller coaster. There's nothing in this plan at all that will get us off that roller coaster, even though the, the smart time to get off such a ride is when it's at the bottom. I wrote, that's right, I wrote uh, Royalty Roller Coaster down, by the way, and I credited it to Trevor Toome. <laughs> and uh, I think this is a good one. This is a cliche that might catch on in this province. Well, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, it, it, we're down to $1.3 billion from right. royalty uh -huh. revenues. Uh -huh. And so that isn't uh, a big hole to fill. What we really need to do is think about the future. How do we gradually and sensibly close the deficit 
over the years in a way that doesn't rely on increases in royalty revenue. Right, but if the smart time to get off the roller coaster is at the bottom, and I like that analogy, then doesn't that make this budget a complete and utter failure if they if they were to try to pitch it as an attempt to get off the royalty roller coaster? Yeah, in fairness, they're not pitching it as right. such an attempt. Um, anyone who would characterize it as a way to get off the roller coaster certainly is, is misrepresenting what the budget does. And I think it was a big missed opportunity. I mean, that's what I was looking for. It's what I was hoping for. I'm sure that's what the credit rating agencies will be looking for as well, a credible multi-year plan to close the fiscal gap in this province. Because it seems like, and this is what I wrote on on our blog this morning, that we're going to borrow, we're going to spend, or we're going to hope for the best. Is that an oversimplification, or is is that more or less what we see here? It's a perfectly defensible position for the government to say that they're going to, you know, maintain a low rate of spending growth and gradually eliminate the deficits. I mean, I think Joe C.C. mentioned that we might expect deficits to 2024. Yeah, that's pretty gradual. Uh, that's, so that's very gradual. But we are in a very strong financial position. So we're in a very good starting position to absorb this shock. And so there, you know, we could have a reasonable discussion about whether or not such a gradual approach is good or bad, but there's certainly no reason to think that this sets us up for some future financial catastrophe. Um, we, we're in a very strong position. Yeah. See, now that's something that the that the finance minister said yesterday, and I think that the, his phrase was, like, we've got the best balance sheet in the country. We can handle this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, certainly I'm paraphrasing him. I'm not quoting him directly. But I, I, I take a remark like that as being, look, in the competition, the race to the bottom uh, in Canada, Alberta is losing. We're, you know, we're one of the worst at indebting ourselves. So, so we could do a better job of indebting ourselves. The, the question that I have is, like, shouldn't we, A, be pursuing our potential, our provincial potential, uh, and if the if the finance minister says, look, we don't have such a bad balance sheet, then does that not mean that there are so many more opportunities to tax Albertans significantly higher so that we don't have to take on the debt? Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I bring it back to what I mentioned earlier. We have a below average level of taxation and above average level of spending. And I think it's, it's also very sensible, I think prudent, and personally, I think um, a, a better plan to try to have a conversation about where we raise revenue from and where we might control spending, in particular health spending. Young province, but uh, the highest per capita health spending compared to BC, Ontario, Quebec. Uh, so there's some low-hanging fruit out there that needs to be picked that isn't. Um, but I, I still go back to say that we're not set up in any reasonable projection you can construct to, you know, we're not headed towards financial uh, catastrophe. And so uh, that doesn't, that statement doesn't justify the gradual approach. It just says that we need to kind of take a breath. And if we disagree with the very gradual decade-long approach that the government wants to do, then we need to say, you know, what we would rather do, like an alternative multi-year plan, something that opposition parties don't seem willing to put out, unfortunately. Um, but certainly the, the economics here are pretty simple. We're not at risk of, of falling apart, unlike Newfoundland, which, which very much is. Uh, so it's much more of a political question than they're, an economic they're, one. They're at risk of having a lot of people move to Alberta. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, uh, that's actually a very sad budget document to read. They have this population projection in there, and they have negative population growth yeah. all the way out to 2022. Yeah. Well, Trevor, stand by if you can. We're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come back, continue this conversation. Economist Trevor Toon, the University of Calgary, is on the line with us as we go through this budget. Certainly there's there's carbon tax to talk about as well. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770.
All right, we're back with uh, UFC economist Trevor Toome talking about this budget and a very large deficit this year and deficits for years to come. But Trevor, just the point you were making before the break about the level at which we spend and the level at which we tax. If, for example, we spent per capita the same level as B.C. and taxed at the same level as B.C., where would we be today? Uh, we wouldn't be in deficit. Uh, at all? Almost surely, yeah. So if we matched the program spending per capita in, in B.C., uh, our spending would go down about $12 billion. Okay, that's, wow. <laughs> that's just a number on a napkin, though. I mean, what's different about life in B.C. than it is in Alberta? Like, what do we get for the extra cash we spend? Yeah, exactly. We need to have, uh, you know, a, a much more careful analysis than just the napkin uh, calculation here. Um, are there quality of service differences, for example, right? I mean, what are they sacrificing for the lower level of spending? And also in Alberta, we do have higher wages because we have a much more vibrant uh, private sector industry. And, you know, the government does need to compete for workers with that industry. Um, so how much of the gap in per capita spending is actually, are we actually able to reduce uh, is you know, not an easy question to answer. Uh, so bigger than zero, less than $12 billion. I got I want to ask you about the carbon tax, but but you, you said something that piqued my interest there about how the government has to compete with the private sector. Uh, this is a good question for an economist, I think. But is that the case? Because I understand that uh, a teacher, for example, uh, the government kind of has to compete with private schools uh, directly in the education industry, uh, but I guess moreover has to compete between whether that individual wants to be a teacher or say work for an oil company. But d- does that? statement kind of bear out or, or does the government get a break in terms of competition because of specialized uh, workforces and, and public sector? Yeah, so that's a great question. So not all occupations are going to be something where you're competing with the private sector for, you know, but a lot you will be, you know, office staff, administration, accountants, things like that. Right, okay. Really construction uh, would be a, a big one, a big expensive line item when you're building capital projects. For sure, you're competing with the private sector there. Okay, so how's this carbon tax going to work? Do we have a clear understanding of that now today? Yeah, actually, the structure of the carbon tax was laid out very clearly in uh, the LEAP report from last fall, and now we're starting to get some concrete numbers around it. But the structure, uh, you know, is fairly known before, so it'll be a a broad-based carbon tax on basically any combustible fuel source in the province. So, you know, most households will see that on their natural gas for home heating and gasoline when they fill up their tanks. Yeah, that's kind of too bad that uh, if you heat your home, you <laughs> you got to pay the price. That doesn't... But, I mean, I guess there's two things about that. This is my problem with the carbon tax. One, I don't know that it's necessarily linked to consumption, the rebate portion of it. Am I missing something here? Or is it basically you're taxed on consumption, but you get a rebate based on income? Right. The the carbon pro- or the carbon tax is there to change the price of things in a way that's related to how much emissions they produce to provide an incentive for people to lower emissions in the cheapest possible way where possible and then the rebates are not at all tied to consumption so you get the rebate uh, regardless of how much you consume and so that's there to really buffer the household's overall purchasing power and so about 50 to 60% of Alberta households will be receiving these rebates. Uh, you know, they range, if you're just single, it's about $300. For a couple, it's 450 And you get more as you have more kids, that sort of thing. Um, so most of the people in the lower half of the income distribution will overall not be put in a worse situation financially than they were before the carbon tax. Um, and yet they will still face an incentive to lower emissions at the rate of $30 a ton. So it doesn't, it doesn't undermine the... The taxes goals then. no not at all okay 
Uh, Trevor, we're, we're fresh out of time. I think we could continue this conversation for quite some time, but we want to uh, hear what our listeners think about the, the budget from yesterday. So we'll say thank you to you, and we'll look forward to talking to you again. Great. Thank you very much. All right. That's uh, Trevor Toom, fellow at the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary, uh, an economist that we like to talk to often on provincial matters. Well, we'll take a break here. We'll come back and we will set up our next hour for you, but we'll uh, kick off the 11 o'clock hour with some time for your calls, some reaction to the budget. So we got a lot more to get to here. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Happy lunch. Hey, how's that going? Oh, it's great. It's catching on. You see a kid with a T-shirt on it soon that says "Happy Lunch." The soup today is a split pea and ham. By the way, you're really going to like that nice smoky ham hock in the broth. There tastes better than it sounds, right? Yeah, it's the, the hard part is splitting the peas. <laughs> that takes a lot of a lot of work and a lot of effort. But you know, you, you stick to you stick to it. You get pretty good at, at it after a while, kid. You'll be the champ. Um, we're we're going to talk about uh, the, the experience of going to the movies and the warnings that they run on the screen beforehand about, you know, don't answer your phone, turn your phone off, make sure your phone's on silent. Just I want to stop right. here for just a sec. Can we, can we have that be a rule for everywhere in life? Yeah, you know, as much as I like my ringtone, ringtones don't really serve much of a purpose. Um, you just keep your phone on, on buzz. If it's on the table, it'll rattle. If it's in your pocket, you'll feel the buzz. Um, yeah, that's sufficient, I, I would think. And, I think and that's not going to really disturb others. I think I'm a freak because I keep my phone on vibrate all the time, and I can hear it from across the house. No, yeah, no, I, I can too. Can you? Okay. But if you're in a movie and your phone's in your pocket and it and it vibrates, that's not really going to bother anybody significantly. I don't think. I, I agree. And and while we're here, before we get back on the train here. Um, the, the phone ringtone that sounds like an old timey phone ringing, that's no longer ironic or appreciated. That was the only (laughs) choice. Okay. Was to make bells ring. That was the only indication that that phone could give you. It didn't have do, 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 right. So I'm just saying that's gotta go, but back to this. Yeah. Have you seen, you've been to a movie lately at Cineplex and they got these goofy little animations before the movie, right? And it's like, don't be a Susie seat kicker. And don't be a Tommy Texter, right. I think it is, right? The, the, the notion that, um, you know, if you're sitting in a crowded theater and you got your phone out and your phone's on, it's, it's casting a bright light that's going to seem quite bright in, in the darkness of a movie theater. Uh, the little animation also implies that texting is noisy, but I don't, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> but yeah, I get, I mean, why aren't you watching the movie? I mean, that's the whole point of being there is to watch the movie. If you need to be texting your friends, maybe you should not be in a movie theater. So, o- OMG, BVS is awesome, lols. Well, yeah. Right. There's that. I guess people like to, to talk about what they're watching or what they're doing. So, a- AMC, the movie movie theater chain, uh, their CEO came up with this idea that said, hey, look, maybe, you know, we should uh, try the texting in movie theaters thing. There's a lot of our, our people come and, and telling them to not text message while they're in the movie is like asking them to cut off their arm, right? So he was just kind of opening the door to this concept of texting in a theater. And when I heard that, I went, are you crazy? That's a terrible idea. And then I read this piece in The Guardian by our next guest, who is uh, Amber Jameson. Uh, Amber, welcome to our program. It's good to have you here. 
Thank you so much for having me. So I wanted to tell you something. I was like so vehemently opposed to this concept of texting in movie theaters, and I very much still am, but I'm reading your piece and you write, going to the movie theater doesn't have to be like a visit to a holy temple. Maybe you want to search IMDb to figure out who that actress is because you recognize her from something else. And I thought to myself, damn it, guilty. (laughs) I've done that. And then I read the next line, maybe you want to Shazam an excellent song from a soundtrack. And I thought to myself... Damn it! I'm guilty. I've done that too. Yeah, that's a good point. A good, but by the way, but we should point out to everybody that that after the reaction to this, AMC uh, Theaters has, has said, "Okay, you know what? People don't like this. We're not going to do it." Amber, are you surprised at at that reaction? I have worked as a reporter for seven years, and I have never received so much hatred as I did for this story. Are you serious. <laughs> Well, so it oh doesn't goodness. surprise me. My Twitter feed, my, my Twitter at replies are just full of people swearing at me and horrified that people would even suggest that you would perhaps use a phone briefly in a cinema, um, which is already happening. Like people, or if you've been to a cinema, you know that people are already texting in them. So I don't think it's that sort of crazy concept to begin with. But no, it didn't surprise me at all because I've received so much abuse that I thought, oh yes, you've AMC immediately changed their mind because people just freaked out. But I think you're right, because as you sort of point out, yes, like the light is bright. I completely agree. Uh, And I think that's something that needs to be kind of um, dealt with, because the light is distracting. However, um, you know, this idea from AMC was that that they would be looking at making um, cinemas more more friendly to it, which, you know, that might be in terms of changing how seats are configured. Maybe there's a way where they could, like, put some sort of shade so if you were going to text, it was in a way that it didn't affect your neighbour. So I think there are ways that it could, could ha- you know, it could happen where the light wouldn't affect people. Because really, if someone is just very quickly, you know, texting someone next to you, it's how is that less annoying than them very aggressively eating popcorn? Yeah, that's that's the thing. So th- that's kind of where I'm at on this because I know that as much as I don't want people texting in the movie theater beside me, I recognize that that's kind of me being an old man now, <laughs> right? Because there's like 14 yeah. year olds or there's kids who are native communicative, uh, native text communicators who would probably see someone texting in a movie theater and they wouldn't pay it any mind. Well, and I think that's it. Like we would talk about the fact that you know. Uh, at home, when you're watching TV, like it's very common now. People always talk about the second screen. So you know, you're watching something live on TV, and then you're you're tweeting about it. You're putting it on Facebook. You know, maybe you're watching like some sort of sporting event, and you people, you know, you're 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 immediately posting photos on it. You know, when you're at a concert, it's like a wall of phones, and yet we go to a movie theater, and somehow it's like considered this incredibly sacred space that we cannot distract the person next to you. Although you're in public, you you could have sat at home by yourself in your quiet living room and watched a movie by yourself, but you've chosen to go out into public. And so I think therefore being kind of, you know, being offended by the person next to you just sort of seems ridiculous because you're you're being part of kind of this public space. Um, And I think that if anything, like, you know, people go to the movie theaters less these days, um, you know, we can just hang at home and, you know, Netflix and chill. So I think there's this idea that maybe um, cinemas need to change a little bit about the way they're doing, you know, the kind of this idea of what a cinema is. Maybe, you know, now you can get food and drink often at places. You can, you know, they're making sort of fancier seats. Like they're adding in things to make it kind of a more interesting kind of place to be. So I think allowing texting is just kind of part of, you know, making a different experience. 
You know, it's interesting. I wonder, Amber, the people who are reacting angrily to you, are, are people angry because they just believe on principle you shouldn't text during a movie? Do you really think that there are all these people out there who just have all these awful experiences of someone next to them texting through an entire movie? Which do you think it is? I've actually found most of the people who have been incredibly offended when they have written to me have been film critics or filmmakers or screenwriters. And therefore, I think, like, for them, it is this sort of sacred, you know, like, holy church that they're visiting when they're going to a cinema. For a lot of people, it's just like, it's just a fun date. It's going out with their kids. It's just, like, something to do. It's not necessarily this kind of incredibly, you know, personal experience where they're, like, you know, indulging in the joy of cinema it's just like they're going to see you know the new batman movie and it's probably terrible um it is terrible by the way it is terrible. <laughs> it is terrible. so exactly so people are kind of just going to see a fun thing so i think partly it's that the people who were most offended kind of one you know view cinema as this very special thing and two i think also they just they get frustrated at the idea that phones are anywhere you know what i mean like yeah. it's this this idea that that you know how dare anyone have a phone in public although i'm 100% certain that you know if you went out to dinner with this person they would probably have a phone sitting on the table while you ate dinner so you know, I think people often like to act high and mighty about, you know, and, you know, oh, millennials are ruining everything. And, you know, I got a lot of people saying like, oh, this is why millennials should be banned as if like apparently no one above the age of 25 like has a phone. Um, so I, I really just <laughs> why, think a lot why do of I it, feel like know, I'm under attack? <laughs> I feel like I'm under attack because I'm one of these phone curmudgeons. <laughs> do, do you think there's an issue here, though, for movie theater chains? Because obviously they take the, the whole idea of videotaping the movie you're watching that's obviously something that's that's treated very seriously and we're in an age where it's easy you know to throw up a few seconds on vine or you know on on instagram and say well look at you know um, here i am at this movie or something like that is is there a concern about copyright and you're letting people take out their phones can you really police that sort of thing well and i think that's a fair point and i can understand why if like the cinemas would be concerned about that but let's be realistic you can already i could very easily already stream illegally any number of films that are currently like available at cinemas like that's already mm-hmm. happening um and and i think if anything i often think these days like um i'm always surprised if i go to an art gallery or any kind of event that does ban um cell phone usage because you know for example if someone does if a friend of mine sent me like a snapchat um from a film like a you know and you can only beat five ten seconds if they sent me like a picture of them which you know it's not going to be amazing quality it's not like they're giving away the entire film but if they sent that to me very quickly and said like wow like the new jungle book so great that's more likely to get me to go see you know a film than me reading a, a review in a newspaper you know like i think people react a lot more to you know they you know from their own social circles and that's part of social media kind of hearing more from your peers than from this kind of like almighty powerful media so i think part of it actually could actually help cinema and help movies um if people are kind of you know showing exactly what it's like to be part of a cinema a little more you know they're showing yeah. the drink they're having they're showing their popcorn and they're, you know, sharing that experience with people. I think that is more encouraging of people to go than, than you know, a, a concern of copyright. Yeah, that's a good point. Shared experiences are good marketing. I remember this one time I was at a museum. This is a true story. I was at a museum in Spain called the Prado. And oh, uh, I was... Great museum. Yeah, so I was looking at this painting and there was this art student who was had an easel set up and he was painting the 
the masterpiece that was on the wall, right? Mm. So I took out my camera to take a picture of it, and the security guard came up and was like, no photography. <laughs> and I thought to myself, that guy is literally forging a, a masterwork, and I can't photograph this? That's crazy to me. But but in the name of a shared experience. So here's my, here's my question to you then, Amber, is do you think there's like more, it's commercially beneficial then, not just to the movie theater company, but to the theater, uh, the movie industry in general to allow people to text in theaters, or do you think it would be a detriment? Look, I think the way it has to be done is to be very clever about it. I don't think the way that we currently have cinema set up is that everybody should be able to text in any sort of way they want right now. I think it would have to be done in a very thoughtful way. You know, someone in the comments actually suggested maybe the final three rows of the cinema could be available for texting so the lights aren't affecting people. Like, I I do think you do need to think about the design of the cinema itself first uh, and to make sure that people either at specific screenings or or ways, like, to to minimise the the frustration and distress for people. However, I, I do think in general it is a, a beneficial thing. It encourages more of a conversation with people about cinema. Um, it encourages people to share their experience of going to the cinema. And also if, if it is something that is helping encourage younger people, if they don't want to turn their phones off and that is going to make them more likely to go to the cinema, then like that to me is only a positive thing. All right, Amber, we'll leave it there. People can find your piece at theguardian.com and uh, weigh in uh, with their thoughts, too, I no, suppose. No, 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 don't read, don't, don't comment. It's... <laughs> don't read the comments. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks it's quite so something. Appreciate it, Amber. Thanks. Thanks for your time. Thanks. All right. Amber Jamison uh, writes for The Guardian uh, in the U.S., uh, theguardian.com. Remember, we were talking about internet comments before. Yeah. And it was, in fact, The Guardian that had gone back and mm-hmm. reviewed their own comments, yeah. Yeah, Amber's got some horrible comments in that in that stream from people. Uh, a, a lot of them just because she's a woman. There are no two ways about that. Well, certainly you think that's how they read. Look, you know, the point she made, I've, I've done that at home. I do that at home a lot. I tend not to do it in a movie theater, maybe just because you're more into the experience and you don't want to be a distraction to others. But yeah, I've certainly been like, oh, who's that that actor that that actor was in that movie? Who is that guy? Oh my Christian god, Bale. It's driving you nuts! And so you you just you pull out your phone because you're on your couch and it's just you and your wife, no harm. And you, oh, okay, now yeah, that's that guy was in that other movie. Yeah, let's, let's take a break here. We'll get to some of your phone calls when we come back. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk seven seventy. Bruce Kenyon on hand. We're at Foothills Hospital for the Foothills Hospital Home Lottery. And the reminder, the early bird deadline is midnight tonight. So if you've been putting it off and putting it off buying the ticket, buy it now, all right? It's payday. Get it out of the way. You're entered into the draw, and who knows? You could win $180,000. You could win the Mercedes. That's the early bird draw. You could win the Grand Prize Show Home. That's valued at $2.4 million. You could win the home in Canmore. 7,500 prizes are up for grabs this time around. But... Buy your ticket now. You may as well get in for one of the good ones, which is the early bird draw. Don't forget to inquire about the Take 50 add-on. That's sitting at 1.5 mil. You'll get about half of that. There's also the cash calendar you can win with that. Many ways to win. And, of course, you're helping out the Foothills Hospital. Place to buy your tickets, foothillshospitalhomelottery.com. I'm Bruce Kenyon on News Talk 770. My goodness. Uh, on the topic of text, boy, oh, boy, people are sure texting a lot about this. And, and most people not happy at all. Don't, don't like this idea at all. And, I, I, you know, I, I agree in principle. You don't need to be texting. Watch the movie. But uh, I, I've certainly, one thing I've certainly done, if, if I'm in a movie and I feel my phone buzz, I got a text. 
I'll, you know, try to discreetly and quickly just look to see what this is. Is anything I need to be worried about? Nope. Okay, that's fine. All right. Uh, I'll respond later. That doesn't seem unreasonable. Uh, Yeah, I'm kind of trying to get out of my curmudgeonly state on this one. You know how I feel about mobile phones in general. And one of the things I like about a movie is that you get to close the door and be away from the world for two hours. And I look for opportunities like that. That's why I I really don't ever want to see the phone on the airplane. That's a really good time to just be kind of in in a tube of solitude, solid tube or something like that. Hey, this is Dan. Hi, Dan. Go ahead. Hey, guys. Um, I'm actually calling you guys from a matinee right now. Mm, cool. What are you watching? And, you watching the Jungle uh, Book? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm going to watch it. What? No, I'm not going to be quiet. Um, anyway. Um, Dan, Dan, having a hard time hearing you, maybe. Can you speak a bit louder? Try, try and find a, a, a clearer spot in the theater. I'm just going to hold my phone up here. Uh, okay. <laughs> hey, um, actually, I'll just let you guys know. I went to a premiere uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh-huh. And there was an usher at the door with a little plastic basket, and they were collecting people's phones. Yes, that's wow. common. And, yeah. and I yeah. felt like my rights were being violated. Well, I, I actually, I missed the first couple minutes of the movie because I ran to my car to put it there as opposed to give it to this kid. Okay, let me tell you something here, Dan, and this is going to shock you, but I've, there's a workaround for this that I've used a couple of times at premieres. All right. They said, please put your phone in this basket. I go, I don't have one. And then they, well, they say, were metal detecting. Oh, were they really? Oh my wow, God. that's a step oh, yeah, up. That's, you know, that's a violation. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. I told the guy, I'm like, there's no way I'm giving you my phone. What Sorry, was the but. movie? Are they trying to p- prevent people from revealing anything? No, or they piracy. To... They don't want your camera. Piracy, yeah. they don't want the camera, yeah. Yeah, it was a really, it was an early, it was like the first two days it was out. So yeah, maybe okay. it had something to do with that. But. Hey, yeah. enjoy, enjoy the rest of the movie that you're at right now, Dan. I, oh, there's a good part. All right, okay. thanks, <laughs> See you, buddy. <laughs> Outstanding. Call of the week. Hi, Terry. Go ahead. Hey, guys. Maybe he was at the re-release of The Crying Game and nobody wanted to let the secret out. Yeah, that could be. Um, Change it up. So, two quick points. First of all, I would much rather deal with somebody texting beside me than somebody yammering as the movie's going on so that I can't hear the movie anyway. Right. Um, but I think it goes down to respect. Uh, I can sit in my house and do anything I want as I'm watching a movie because nobody's paid a thousand dollars to come and see the movie at my house. I'm going to a theater. I'm spending the money. I'd like to be able to watch the movie. That's it. I haven't you know, been to I, a movie it, in a while, but is inflation that bad? Well, it just feels like by the time you hit, you know, the babysitter and the popcorn is probably like 40 bucks an hour or something. I don't know what it is. I get you. You know, I'm just saying for what you spend when you go, you'd like to be able to watch the movie uninterrupted. And if you can't get that experience, stay home and rent it. Whatever. It's your choice, right? That's a great Um, call, Terry. We're going to leave it at that just because we're out of time. But thanks so so much. Yeah, no, I think think she's got a a pretty valid point there. I think that that's a place where people can respect that, like, everybody kind of wants... The, the easiest, most basic experience, and if, if being asked to not text for two hours is too much, then maybe right, I get it. You know, look, you're, you're paying good money to go see this movie. You you don't want it disrupted. You know, weird thing was when we went to see the Batman vs Superman movie. At some point, and I don't know if it was someone in the theater or maybe right outside of the theater, somebody lit a cigarette, <laughs> and it stunk. And then all of a sudden, like, you couldn't see the smoke anywhere, but just all of a sudden, everyone's just looking all around the movie theater, like, what the hell is going on here? Everybody smelled it, right? And you could hear kind of people murmuring about it. And that's, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's insane. And we almost, you know, you almost want to get your money back just for that. 
so yeah, no, I get that people, you know, you pay good money to go see a movie, you're immersed in the movie, you're loving the film, and someone's doing something to distract you. They're texting, they're talking, they're kicking your seat, they're eating really loud, or they're just being annoying in general. It's going to take away from your experience. For some reason, that made me want to watch True Romance when it goes to the Sonny Chiba movies and the... Uh theaters full of smoke. Oh, yeah. Might have to slide that one into the old VCR when I get home today. Anyway, that's it for us. Uh, enjoy the day. Enjoy the weekend. It's going to be beautiful. We'll catch you Monday at 930. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Bruce Kenyon with you this afternoon at the Foothills Hospital for the Foothills Hospital Home Lottery. Uh, we've got a deadline coming up at midnight for the early bird, okay? So you want to buy your tickets today just to be eligible for that. Just, it's beautiful, beautiful Mercedes or $180,000 in cash. Don't overlook the Take 50 add-on. Now, right now, if you were to split it, you'd get about 700000 I was trying to do some math as to how many tickets were sold because most people buy the multiple packs. They're 10 bucks, or you can get 5 for 25 I bet you your odds on that would be somewhere in the area of 1 in 700,000, which I know sounds long, but when you consider 640... Roger Kincaid and Rob Breckenridge, weekdays starting at 9.30 a.m. on News Talk 770 Calgary.